All right, good evening, church. Um, welcome back. Oh, I guess I'm the one that was away. Um, I'm glad to be back. Thank you for those of you who were praying for me while I was speaking at Lakeside Bible Camp a few weeks ago. I, I told you that it was challenging, and you're speaking 10 messages in five days, two different messages every day. And I know that I've, I've spoken them before here, um, but... Um, it's still, it's challenging. It's challenging, and usually, I guess I figure when I do 10 messages, there's going to be a couple of them, maybe two or so, that I'm like, eh, uh, 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 cringe, maybe a little bit. Um, and you're thinking, really? Only two messages? You feel that? You should probably think like four or five or something. Uh, no, but so I, I went through that, but, but I, there was only one that I was like, eh. Kelly was like, that was the best. And so we kind of met in the middle. Like, it was okay. Um, so, but, but other, I had a great, great week. It was, it was better than usual. And so thank you for, for praying. If you were praying for me that week, if not, um, I'll, I'll take it anyways. I'll, I'll give you the credit. Uh, last, uh, last couple weeks, I was with, um, well, then Kelly's family and then my family, uh, including some time where I spent with my mom, who is working at Yellowstone, Yellowstone uh, National Park. Uh, she had a kind of a rough year. Both of her parents died, and uh, she decided, okay, I want kind of a change. So she went on the National Park's website, and apparently people from all over the world go and work at Yellowstone for summers. And so, yeah, she kind of, she kind of supervises a store in Yellowstone. And, and so we went out to visit her, took a road trip out there, and here's a picture of our magical time. It, it looked a lot like this. This is, um, that's my uh, 17-year-old daughter, Emma, taking a picture, I don't know, of a wolf or a bison or something. It was, it was actually pretty, it's spectacular. Anybody been to Yellowstone? It's, pr it's pretty amazing. And so um, now we know why God invented sunroofs on, on cars, uh, safe picture taking in Yellowstone. Um, so th that was that. Was that couple few weeks, uh, but great, glad to be back. As you can see, it's not really sunny there. Um, there's a little bit of blue, I think, through this sunroof. But, but yeah, that's, that's kind of our summer. Um, this, uh, this evening, uh, my plan is to introduce us to our next series, the, the series that we're going to kind of begin now, um, and then we're going to move and do this through the month of November. There's going to be a few breaks between here and the end of our series. Uh, even like next week, we're going to have some special speakers. Next week, we're going to have Dominic Dunn uh, out of Portland. He's here. Uh, he's he's the uh, teaching pastor at Westside in Portland, and he has written a book recently called uh, faith and when faith fails when faith fails and so he's going to come out and teach um, next sunday on faith and doubt uh, on the topic of faith and doubt so that, that'll be exciting next week there's gonna be a few other times this this year where it's like vision sunday and, and all that um, but mostly we're going to be spending the next few weeks uh, studying jesus between now and the end of november studying jesus in the book of revelation and we're going to go through, and you're like, whoa, we're going to go through Revelation. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to spend the autumn uh, going through the book of Revelation. Why are we doing that? Well, a, a seminary lecturer joked that, hey, Brian, you know, if you, want to, if you want to grow a church really anywhere in the world amongst the next generation, you teach on one of three topics. You either teach on end times or sex and relationships but if you really want to hit it, you teach on 
Will there be sex and relationships in the end times? Boom. Uh, that, that's not actually what we're going to be doing. Uh, th- that's not the why behind this series at all. It's just, it's just uh, something to remember. The, the reason why we're going to be teaching this series is because when I've been praying through Glasgow and I've been praying through what's going on in the church, when I've been praying through the different locations that, are, that our church seems to be um, popping up in, uh, I was talking to Laura just before the service, and, and I was like, you know, Laura, we need to come up with a, nail down exactly when the next members meeting is here at the church, because actually, in those six months since our last members meeting, we'll have already launched two locations between the two six-month members meetings. Yeah, it's time to have another members meeting. But so much stuff has been going on, and when I think about all that's been going on, uh, I, I see some, I see some, some lies in our city, in our nation, in our generation about God. And I see some pains in our city and nation about God that are producing some lies in Christians, really, in believers, some lies that we have. And I feel like the book of Revelation perfectly addresses some of these lies that so many Christians can easily hold on to in the context of some of the pains that we're going through. Um, it doesn't surprise you probably that I, I've been praying a lot about Royston. I'm very excited about that. Um, that's only about 34 days away until we launch Royston. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and especially when I think about how much has to be done. Uh, so it's about 34 days away. In that area of our city, it, it's, it oozes pain, right? It oozes brokenness. There's an, there's an obvious brokenness, just easy to see on the surface surface. You see broken lives, broken families, broken marriages, broken people, broken children. It's, it's broken and, and it's, it's flowing out of pain. Like, and the pain is, is, is easier to spot. But also, when we look around the different other parts of the city that our, our church has been placed in, uh, here in the West End or in the South Side, uh, the, the, there's still the pain there. But we're, we're in parts of the cities that, that mask it a little bit more. And we mask it behind happy eyes and smiles and, um, yeah, just, just a general demeanor that says, I'm fine. I'm great. And you walk into church, you know the answer. How are you doing? Fine. Uh, great. Uh, I don't think you say, I don't hear people say great. I say great, uh, but, but then I usually have to backtrack. Well, actually, hold on. Um, but yeah, we have that, we have that mask uh, that, that goes on. No matter where we're at in this city, there are, there, there are pains in, in people's lives. In, these church, in our church, at the different locations, in this room, there, there, there's pains. And a lot of them may be masked, but they're there. And the, the darkness that people are, are living under it, it, it's pretty overwhelming. The disappointments that Peter, people are living under are, are, are overwhelming. The, the devastation, the griefs that some of you are, are holding on to, the anxieties, the, the depression, there's this, this darkness, there's a silent suffering, and, and, and it leads to these questions of doubt about God. For instance, questions like, is God really good? Is God really do good when, when I, there's all this darkness going on in my life and, and that it feels really bad? Is God really good and, and with all this darkness going on? Or, or does God really care? D- does he care? D- he doesn't seem to do anything 
about my pain or my hurts? Is he even paying attention? Does God, does God pay attention to, to people like me and, 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 and in this world and in this life? Is, is God worth following? He seems to have gone silent on me. He seems to be, be distant. He feels like he isn't here. Where is God? Why isn't he doing anything? Why is there so much suffering? Why am I suffering so much? And why is it continuing on and on and on? If you've ever had any of those questions or those feelings you're the only one <laughs> no that's not true uh people uh, all through our church have times where their 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 suffering levels their 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 pain internal pain levels get to a point where they start questioning you know is god good is he paying attention is he going to ever do anything ab about my life and about these situations the book of revelation could be the greatest response to those questions the book of Revelation could be one of the most clear responses to, to those kinds of questions. It's, it resounds with this incredible mes message of hope. It resounds with this incredible message that God is paying attention and he is going to actually do something about this. This is a message of hope to generation after generation after generation. People living in darkness, in dark situations. It's a clear revelation of how good God is. It's a clear revelation of how much God is paying attention and how much more incredible Jesus is than we, we, we think. How, how stunning and how certain the hope is for those who hold on believing in Jesus. When you, think, when you think through the book of Revelation and you see how it unfolds, you see this, these, these, these revelations of, of Jesus and he's, he's glowing or, or you know, he's got these eyes of fire or whatever. You just get these spectacular images of Jesus that are just awe-inspiring and you're, you're captivated by, by this Jesus is incredible and he's amazing. And then you see him in comparison to the churches, the seven churches. And the churches aren't amazing. And we were, Jesus is way more amazing than the churches. And, and some of you were really hoping that that was true. You're like, I hope Jesus is more amazing than, than church. He is. And, and so that message comes to you. And then you, got, then you see in Revelation, Jesus, uh, his victory over um, people who are doing evil and, and who have walked away from God. And then you see his victory over the greatest and most aggressive and deceptive works of the enemy in all time. And yet Jesus overcomes all of that. And we keep seeing that, that in Jesus, our hope is well-placed, that God is actually paying attention, and that he is definitely keeping record and gonna act in response to, to what's messed up, and he's gonna make things right. The darkness might be overwhelming. The darkness might even get worse. But nothing in all of existence is going to stop the light. Nothing in all of existence is going to stop the victory and, and the triumph of God through Jesus. So why are we studying this book? Basically because no matter the darkness, no matter the pains that you're experiencing, in Jesus, in Jesus, in all his goodness, in all his power, he's paying attention. He's paying attention to you, and he will overcome it all, whatever that is. He'll overcome it all and make it right in the end. That's why I'm excited to talk about this book, because of what it reveals about Jesus. Now, as you go through this book, it bounces back and forth between glimpses of heaven and, and what takes place on earth. So you, you, you get this 
scene of, of God in splendor or the throne room of God or the spiritual battles taking place and then you see the outflow on earth and, and, and it bounces back and forth and when most people think about the book of Revelation, they're thinking, wow, this is just like a spectacular back and forth book full of super images and, and, and crazy things going on. It's cool and confusing. Uh, some people were like, ah, the, the Revelation, it's a book about the end times. It's a book about the end times. And just to be clear, technically, Revelation is not the book about the end times. It's a book where you, if you want to know about the end times, you would go to the book of Revelation because it talks a lot about the end times. But the book is not about the end times. It's in the context of the, of the end times, or a lot of it is. The book is about Jesus. It's about Jesus being revealed by how amazing he is. It's the revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of what the end times are going to be like. It's the revelation of Jesus in the context. In fact, this is how the book begins in verse one. Verse one begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave, John. This book, number one, this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is being revealed in this, throughout this whole book. And that's what our study is going to be on. It's going to be looking at how Jesus is being revealed, how amazing he is. Now, after we discover that it's going to be about the revelation of Jesus, we're going to hear that the context is in, in verse 1's words, in what must quickly take place. It's going to be uh, in things that are about to come. So we're going to be looking at the awesomeness of Jesus, the incredibleness of Jesus, and we're going to see that Jesus is good, that he is amazing, in the context of what he is going to do, who he is and what he's going to do, and what he's going to accomplish, what's going to take place. Now, uh, again, one of the structure pieces in this book is the back and forth. Heaven, earth, uh, living in the, the battles that are taking place in the spiritual realms and then the outflow of that on earth. It reminds me of Ephesians 6. Paul writes about the real battle. Why, why we, that our battle's not against one another, flesh and blood. It says in verse 12, our, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so as we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to see the truth of that and Jesus waging war victoriously in that arena and, and how that interacts with what's taking place on earth. And we're going to see that Jesus' victory is is in every arena, in every sphere, and it's victorious and incredible and mighty. That there's no sphere in heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus is not supremely, magnificently superior in. And that victory is going to lead to a new heavens and a new earth. Anyways, that's, that's where we're going to be looking at as we go through this book. I hope you're ready to recapture some wonder when it comes to Jesus. I hope that if you're a part of our church for any length of time, that your wonder of God's word, that your wonder of, of the Bible, that your wonder of, of the God of the Bible, that it just keeps going up. Because the God we serve is amazing. So this book is about the revelation of how magnificent, how incredible Jesus is. 
and it's given through um, the angel to John. So John's the author. Number two, John wrote Revelation, uh, John the Apostle, wrote Revelation around 96 AD while exiled to Patmos. Uh, Verse one said it was a revelation given to John. Verse nine says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. We know, um, we know from history that there are three islands in that area that the Romans during the imperial period would send um, prisoners. And one of the, one of the exile reasons, uh, one of the reasons that they would exile people had to do with um, practices of magic and astrology. Now, not all practices of magic and astrology, that was going on everywhere, but certain individuals who became troublesome to the empire, who practiced magic or astrology, would be uh, exiled. Prophecy, pagan, Jewish, Christian, prophecy could be, would be under that category, would be under that category. So they had these three islands out there, Patmos being one of them, and they clearly thought uh, John was uh, dealing with prophecy. And then he goes to the island and he comes up with the most prophetic book in the Bible, right? Like, boom, ha, yeah, exile that one. No, so he's, he's, uh, he's exiled. Um, if you've, have you heard the story of John being boiled in oil before this moment? It's not in the Bible. Um, where does that come from? It comes from a guy named Tertullian. And Tertullian is born about 60 years after the book of Revelation is written give or take, about 60 years. And, and then he ends up writing this, this thing called the Prescription of Heretics. And in that book, he says, John was banished after being plunged into boiling oil in Rome and suffering nothing from it, which, I don't know, as a kid, I didn't get that bit. I, 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 I think I held on to the bit of, he was boiled alive in oil and he lived through it. Awful. But suffering nothing from it, Okay, that sounds better. It, it said that in all that's that all the audience of the Colosseum were converted to Christianity upon witnessing this miracle. Did it happen? I don't know. It's not in the Bible. That's from Tertullian, written about a hundred years after the Book of Revelation. So if you've heard that story, that's where it, it comes from. That's where it comes from. Okay, so John wrote the book during his exile. Now, I said in 96 AD, I guess I better point out that there's some people who would say it was written more like 70 AD. Maybe some of you in this room uh, would be like, it was written around 70 AD. If you think that, that's fine. Uh, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna be, you know, fighting here. We're, we're gonna be having a good time. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna have a good time with this book. Um, the reason why some people think 70 AD is because uh, they, they want some of the things in Revelation to fit with the destruction of Jerusalem, and they want it to fit with Nero, uh, and some of it feels like it could fit that way. Not all of it, but some of it. So uh, there are some people who view that way. More people, most people think it's written a little bit later, like 96 AD. So there's that. Um, Back to verse 9, I want, there's something I want you to see because it, it's important about John and there's three words in verse 9. He describes himself as partner, brother, and partner in three things. In tribulation, in kingdom, and endurance. 
Those three things. And I I like that about John, that he's like, I am with you in tribulation. Tribulation meaning suffering and and pain and and hardship. Like, I'm not writing to you as someone off from a distance saying, you who are suffering, um, keep going. He's like, no, I suffer. I'm a part, I'm with you in this suffering. Let's keep going together. Let's not give up together. Partner in suffering, uh, partner in kingdom. Uh, kingdom's a big deal in the book of Revelation. He keeps saying that Jesus made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve, serve God. And then also uh, endurance, which John is going to be urging us to all keep believing in Jesus. No matter the suffering, no matter the pain that's in your life, don't give up, don't turn on God, don't stop believing in, in, in Jesus and, and what he's going to do. I just want to point out those words because they're going to be significant in the book. Okay, so let me just read a few verses here at the beginning of Revelation. It'll just get it, give us a little bit of taste of it. Um, this, is, this is verse one. I'm going to go back to verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to a slave, John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ in all he saw. The one who reads this is blessed. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and those who keep what is written, hear and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. There's a special blessing. None of the other books of the Bible have a special blessing for for reading and keeping them, although that is true. It's true for all of them. Um, It'd be easy to ignore this book. I I know some people, when I was going through Bible college and seminary and and even in ministry, they just kind of like to avoid this book because it's weird and it's hard to understand. And so maybe just go to something, something simple, simple like, I don't know. I, I can <laughs> the rest of the Bible uh, so um, yeah so anyways it, it, there's a blessing to keep in mind and the reason is is because the message is that 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 Jesus is coming back he's coming back soon hold on he is going to act uh, it's a message of hope well let's keep going verse 4 John to the seven churches in Asia grace and peace to you from the Trinity from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. That is the closest you can get in Greek to God's name, Yahweh. Yahweh means I am, or I was who I still am. I will be who I am. I, I am who I will be. I, I will be everything that I am now. And what it, it's this eternal was, is, is to come. Like that, that is God's name has that aspect of it. This, you, there's no word like that in Greek. And so this is as close as you can get. The one who is, who was, and who is coming. That, that eternality that Yahweh, God of the Bible, the Father. And then it says, so um, uh, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. From the seven spirits before the throne uh, or is your footnote will say the sevenfold spirit of God uh, think the Holy Spirit there uh, from the Holy Spirit and then you're going to see Jesus in the next verse but the sevenfold spirit is probably the best way to think about that John loves the number seven 
We, if you were here when we went through the Gospel of John, you see sevens everywhere in the Gospel. You see seven signs. You see seven I am's. You see seven I am analogy things like I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. You see seven witnesses in the book of John, like seven people who are saying Jesus is of God. The, the number seven is all through the Gospel of John. It's all through the book of Revelation as well. You're going to see the seven seals, the seven trumpets the seven bowls the seven thunders the seven churches the sevenfold spirit of god uh you got this the seven to john means like like perfect or complete or total total and so you've got this perfect this perfect spirit of god the sevenfold spirit of, of god there father spirit and then jesus uh this is uh, from Yahweh, from the, the Spirit, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and who has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priests. He's made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. The glory and dominion are his forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him, and all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is coming, the Almighty. The Almighty. Now, as I've mentioned before, this book is full of symbols. It's going to be full of symbols everywhere. It's part of a different kind of literature than we've studied um, for, a, for a while. We touched a little bit on it when we were in the book of Daniel. But in the book of Daniel, Zechariah, and then here in, in Revelation, we're going to be looking at uh, apocalyptic literature. It's a, it's a genre of literature, and, and it has different rules for, for reading. So, for instance, if you're reading narrative liter literature or story like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, um, how about like uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, like that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're reading those, then that has certain rules. If you're reading like a, letters, like Paul's letters or Jude's letter, <laughs> if you're reading letters, they, they have some different rules uh, for, for understanding them. Uh, poetry has its own rules. Poetry is not setting out to be scientifically precise, uh, but more descriptive and, and emotive. Uh, Proverbs, they have different rules for understanding them. Proverbs are generally true, but not always true. If you take a proverb and you say, this proverb is in the Bible, so it's 100% true all the time, that would be misusing uh, that genre. That's, that's not an appropriate use of that genre, of, of proverb genre. So you got to look at the different genres and then then understand them based on the rules. We understand that a proverb is generally true, not a promise that's always true. Apocalyptic literature has its own set of, of rules. And um, Wendy Witter, Wendy Witter, Wendy, Wendy Witter, Wendy Witter, uh, Zondervan academic, I can't get past the name, Wendy Witter, 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 Witter. She has a bunch of tips. Four tips um, that I'm, I'm going to share with you from reading apocalyptic books. Uh, her study was actually from the book of Daniel, but here are some of her tips. Number one, she says, pay attention to the symbolism. The symbolism. Apoc apocalyptic literature is highly symbolic 
like dreams, in fact, think of it like dream interpretation, if, if you were here when we talked about dream interpretation. Just like dreams, you're asking the question, what does this mean? What does this piece mean? What does this, this aspect mean? And, and just like dreams, it doesn't matter what it means to you, unless it's your dream. If you're listening to somebody else's dream, I'm listening to Kelly's dream, Kelly gives me, tells me her dream, it, it, it doesn't matter what that symbol means to me, what matters is what did it mean to her? Because well, God's speaking to her through these, these symbols. And the same when you're looking at uh, apocalyptic literature, what did this mean to John? What did this mean to John, this symbol? What did this mean to John's original audience? It's their meaning, not our meaning. Um, also, when it comes to dreams, uh, when it, or, or when you're in apocalyptic literature, it's, it's like poetry in the sense that it's meant to be, it's meant to evoke an emotional response. So you're reading the book of Revelation and you see this monstrous beast empowered by Satan, by the, the forces of hell, crawling out of the ocean unlike any monster you've ever seen. You're supposed to be horrified. It, it's supposed to evoke uh, uh, terror. And then when you see what Jesus does, you're supposed to be like, Wow, Jesus is even more incredible. You're, you're supposed to be, uh, you're, you're supposed to emotionally respond to this kind of literature. They're supposed to be horrified and then, then rejoice in the triumph. So number one is pay attention to the symbolism. Number two is don't forget the original audience. Uh, they would have read these symbols and more intuitively, more known what they, what they have meant, what they have meant. Um, most of the symbolic most of the symbols in the book of Revelation show up elsewhere in the Bible. Most of them show up in the Old Testament. So, uh, 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 yeah, th there's not a lot of new symbols in the book of Revelation. We need to avoid the temptation to insert our own ideas into some of these symbols and be like, oh man, that is an Apache helicopter. I know that's an Apache helicopter. I know, because that kind of reminds me. Of, it goes, it goes... And I know that, that that's, an, that's totally an Apache. Uh, no, we're going to try and remember the original audience. They were probably not thinking Apache helicopter. But we'll see when we get there, right? Number three. Number three. Got to keep reminding Think about the writing's purpose. And you can't lose this. You can't lose the, the, the point. The big picture of the book of Revelation is the amazingness of Jesus. Jesus being revealed as how amazing him. And it's a call to bring people together with hope, with endurance. It's, it's this book that's supposed to help us to spur each other on, to keep going, keep holding on in whatever your crisis, in whatever your situation. Ironically, this book is used more than most books to drive people apart and to cause conflicts and fight. Oh, I think this already happened. Oh, I, I think it's still going to happen. Oh, I think it's, it's actually only spiritually happening. And I think, no, I think it's actually happening. I think this part ha is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. No, 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 no. This, then that, then this, then that. You know, it's like oh my gosh children stop for the love um for the love we we don't want to go that way with this book this book is supposed to have us marveling in a unified wonder about jesus and in this great uh hope and perseverance not not divide us fourthly uh her advice is don't go alone don't go alone meaning since symbol, these symbols have been worked on before you <laughs> 
uh, by scholars who have who've gone through this a lot. And I know that there's a lot of disagreement, but we're also going to, when we go through this study, we're... Un- Unlike a lot of other books, this one, it helps to have a little bit more um, to stand on, a little bit more scholarship to stand on. So that's her advice. Some good wisdom for us. Okay, inevitably, we're going to be talking about the end times. It's going to come up. It's going to come up as we go through this study. And it makes me a little bit nervous. If we're going to talk about this, and if, we're gonna, and, and if the Lord wills, we are. Uh, if we're going to talk about this, then I want us to take this journey as a church committed to unity and humility. And I don't just mean me from the front and, and in this context. I mean like when you're at a coffee shop with somebody else here in this church. And you find yourself, I know as shocking as it sounds, somebody has a different view of you on on some of this stuff. Or you're pondering this. I don't want this to stir up a bunch of of conflict in this church. Not not here or whatever, but but even amongst your groups and your friends. There's a a very big difference between humbly discussing, I think it's kind of like this for these reasons. Okay, I think it's this reason for another reason. And you're like, oh, that's stupid. And they're like, no, you're stupid. And then like, there's a good way to discuss and then there's a terrible way to discuss, okay? We're gonna discuss this with humility and kind of the humility lessons that I think of when I uh, think of the Pharisees. For me, the Pharisees, I know I I talked about them three weeks ago. The Pharisees, um, they had biblically, solidly biblically derived expectations of what it was going to be like when Jesus came, when the Messiah came. They had very biblically derived, lots of scripture, lots of verses. They were clear on what it was going to be like when Jesus showed up. And one of the reasons why they missed identifying Jesus as the Messiah was because they had gotten it a little bit wrong. They had overemphasized some things and they downplayed other things, such as suffering. So they missed it. And when, when I think about looking at end time stuff, it's with that kind of humility that I'm approaching it and I want all of us to approach it with. That none of us ought to be dogmatic about it, what we don't, what, what hasn't happened yet. Or what, or what maybe we think, we, I, maybe that was a bad way to say that, about this book, which is a little less concrete than some of the other ones, all right? There's a little bit more um, different interpretations. So I want us to be like, okay, let's not, let's learn from the Pharisees. Let's not become fighty and contentious. Paul doesn't want us to be uh, contentious. He talks about, to Timothy, about staying away from meaningless debates. So I just want to throw that out that as a warning, not just to us, but when you're out there talking with people. That said, I think this is going to be an, an excellent study. I think it's going to be a timely study. Um, for those of you who were around when we studied the Gospel of John, John wrote that book for this reason. So that we would believe in Jesus, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. He wrote the sequel, uh, the book of Revelation. He wrote that book so that we would keep believing in Jesus. Because time had gone on, a lot of time had gone on, and there's a lot of disappointment, and people had held on for several years, several decades in, in extreme situations, and they were feeling tempted to give up. And Paul, uh, sorry, John writes this book so that people would keep believing in Jesus no matter how dark the days are. John's writing this book when, when the Christians are suffering again. They'd suffered under Nero, now it's Domitian. 
they're suffering and they're being put to death in all kinds of horrible ways and evil things happening. It's a dark moment and John wants to remind us that Jesus is paying attention. I don't feel like he's paying attention because nothing seems to be happening right here. I'm not getting rescued out of this pain. No, he wants to remind us that Jesus is paying attention. And, and so it's gonna be worth it no matter the cost, that Jesus is going to make it all right in the end. It's going to be worth it. Keep going, keep going, no matter the darkness. So Paul's, uh, John is writing this book to keep encouraging us to keep going, but also to another group of people who we see maybe in the letter of the seven churches, uh, the letters to the seven churches. Uh, he's, he writes this book because some people were, were shifting towards apathy. They were, they were kind of sitting on the fence. They didn't like the whole persecution thing. They kind of figured if, I kind of, if I'm kind of a medium Christian or kind of just kind of, a, just kind of sit not, you know, kind of off to the side a little bit, but, but still a Christian, but not really going for it, then I can avoid all kinds of, of persecution. John's writing to them. He's like, get off the fence. Get off the fence. Dive into this. I know it's safer. I know less people tease you. I know less people taunt you. I know less people make fun of you. I know you suffer less by just being apathetic and, and you're not having to pay that much of a, of a price. But get off the fence. Jesus is so worth it. What he's done is so worth it. He's so amazing. Get off the fence. So those are two strong things that John's going to be focusing on. Uh, I, I think one of the, the last things I want to say this evening is John it strikes me that John walked with Jesus right he, he followed him around like for three and a half years or something like that he, he was a disciple he was this disciple that Jesus loved uh, he's so convinced of it that's what he called himself in his own book the disciple that Jesus loved uh, Peter <laughs> uh, he, he's like yeah I'm the disciple of Jesus he walked with him and yet John all throughout this book, when he sees glimpses of Jesus now, is stunned at how spectacular, whatever, however amazing Jesus was when he was walking around with the disciples, it's so much more. And I love it that John, his, his, his concept of Jesus, his understanding of Jesus is able to go way up on the wonder scale, on the wow scale, as he, as he sees this stuff. And those of us who didn't get to walk around with, with Jesus for three and a half years, I hope that as we look at what, what John is seeing and what he's writing down, that, that Jesus is going to go up on our wonder scale, on, on our wow scale. Okay, so the message is going to be through this series, dive in, get off the fence, fully follow the incredible Jesus. The message is going to be, uh, Jesus is more good more paying attention than you'd ever believe. Hold on, he's going to pay, pay back this, the, the suffering, those who are doing evil. He's going to make all things good. The message is going to be uh, how incredibly well-placed your hope is in Jesus. Whatever dark days you're facing, your hope is well-placed. It's going to be okay. Fourthly, the message is going to be Jesus is more incredible than you're thinking he is right now. Four messages. I don't usually do this, but uh, you're going to humor me this evening. Uh, I, I, I'm going to give a challenge, uh, and then we're going to show a song. Uh, Chris Tomlin. Chris Tomlin used to be a big deal about 20 years ago, and, uh, but he recently wrote the song that I think really captures uh, my heart for this series. If you're, Brian, don't, 
don't get off the stage without giving us a challenge. I came tonight so that you would give me a challenge, okay? Uh, read the book of Revelation in the next two weeks. Just kind of skim through it, refamiliarize yourself with it, because we're going to spend some time in it. It'd be great if you kind of had a cover-to-cover grasp grasp of it as we get going. So you can take that as a challenge and, and uh, listen to me with, at least listen with me on uh, this song by Chris Tallman and then Laura's going to wrap it up.